0: I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Jui Wong. Dewey was a panelist at the Egon Zender Second Shift Beauty Breakfast. And I did not know her. I had not heard of her. I didn't know she was a legend in the beauty world. And she came and we're sitting in this little green room and in walks this woman who is so chic. The outfit, the whole thing. And she starts talking about her life. And I was immediately drawn in. And the way that she was talking about her experiences and She's been a CEO of five different companies in the beauty world, companies that you've heard of, like Olaplex and Moroccan Oil and Murad. And then she's taken a company public. She's been the president of two different public companies. She sits on the board of huge public companies like Elizabeth Arden. And she's talked about her her children and her career and how she started off in Singapore as a commodities trader. And the decisions that she made over the course of her life based on her children. She moved across the world to move to Arizona, of all places, and restart her life and her career and the risks that she took, her perseverance. The way she thinks about going after what you want and having the tenacity to do it, but the patience to wait for what you really want and the goals that you've created. The ways she thinks about networking and mentoring and leadership. Relevant to our audience, I know you are going to love her, love this interview as much as I did because she really, she connects so many dots that we talk about and her perspective is incredibly optimistic and actionable. Like she really gives good steps on like how she thinks and what you should do and how you should approach people and reframing fear, all the things that I love to talk about with our community. She just is the living embodiment of. So thank you, Jewie. Thank you. And I'm so glad that we happened to be at this event together and that she took the time to impart her wisdom to our community. I really appreciate you taking your time to do this. I know you are a very in-demand busy boss lady, but when we met last week at that beauty industry event, we were just chatting in that little green room and you were talking about your life story and I was like, "Okay, I need to know every single thing about this woman." And your story is so inspirational for so many different reasons, but For women, for mothers, for people who are trying to transition between careers, for people who are, you know, who are outsiders and wanna succeed. So, thank you. First of all, thank you. I I appreciate it. And I have told so many people since we've met about how much of a girl crush I have on you. So, besides the fact that she, like, you can't see, but Julie's like
1: so chic, like, so chic and fashionable and, and just cool. So, Well, thank you for giving me this opportunity as well, right? I mean, like for you, you have a lot of people that you can select from and the guests that you have obviously is very important to your audience and to the people that really listen in. So I appreciate it and I will, you know, for you to give me that platform, I want to make sure that I give back as well.
0: Thank you. So let's just, because you can do a better job of this than I can, let's do like a real short rundown of your Career, your bullet points down, because you've done so many things and you've been so professionally accomplished that I just want I want to hear it from you.
1: Well, thank you very much. Yes. I mean, the first half of my career, which was about 12 to 13 years, I was really in what we call consumer staples like commodities trading, PepsiCo, the Dow Corporation. That's where I hone in a lot of my business skills. And so the second half of my career was leaning into everything that I have learned from those larger organizations and kind of saying, how can I both do well and do good, so to speak? And that's the reason why I then moved to what we call emerging brands in those days and starting with Murad, then Pericone, then you know, Dr. Obaji, Strivecton, and then the list goes on. And the common theme there is that every one of those businesses were either about growing them or really scaling them, in most cases, a turnaround situation. So that was really why I, you know, where the transition is. But for a lot of personal reasons too, I make those moves primarily because I knew that in order for me to really grow as a professional, both as an executive, but also emotionally being available to myself, to my family. I really needed to make a change. And that's why I went from the larger corporations to the smaller corporations, but with a very specific point in mind, where it's really to, to be able to distinguish you know, my skill set, which was then turn around. And that's the reason why you see me in positions over the years, the second half of my career, where generally it's about three to four years, I make a switch. Because when you are working for private equity-backed brands, generally that's what happens. What they need to do is they have a seven-year fund, they need to get out of that fund or their investment, and then they roll over into something else. And either I exit with them or I transition to another role.
0: You've been the CEO five times of different companies. You've been twice public company president. You've taken a company public. And you sit on, you know, boards of huge beauty industry brands that people would know, you know, that are, you know, legendary in the beauty world. Do you always want to be the CEO and which of those roles do you like
1: the most? It's a very good question. You know, did I always want to be CEO? I would have to be honest with you. I just knew, you you know, you started off by saying, you know, uh, boss lady. And I remember Tina Facebook, bossy pants. I think I was a very bossy little girl. I'm very petite. I'm short. My family is relatively taller than I am, primarily because I was a premature baby. And so I have this, what people would call a Napoleon complex. So what I could make up for being, you know, dominating and domineering to a certain extent, you know, for my height and for my size, I probably did a lot of that. And it became quite clear as I continue in my career, that I really like a leadership position where I can have reach and influence. And I find that I work really well with teams. And I felt like if I could be leading an organization where I can work with teams, I can still also exercise my thinking, my point of view with a larger group of people and move in that same direction. I just think I could accomplish a lot. And in terms of which one do I like the best, I have to say that the president CEO type role that keeps coming back, that I feel like I did not finish my job is really being the president of Elizabeth Arden. And the reason why I said that was, it was the first job where I joined an organization and everyone in their seat was a consummate professional already. They were well-trained in what they were doing they have been with big organizations and they understand the dynamics of being in a public company and they also embraced me they appreciated the fact that they needed somebody like me to come in and instead of playing politics every one of my team members and the team that you know i manage underneath you know through them rather all of them we were all pointed in the same direction so much so that when i took over We had six consecutive quarters of growth, even despite the fact that prior, the company made a very smart decision, a very strategic decision to take away almost $200 million worth of diverted business. And when we did transition to Revlon through an M&A acquisition, it was a good thing for the company because we needed more to get the company you know, on his feet and to continue to have those consecutive quarters of growth. But I felt like I could have done so much more for that brand and for that team,
0: Maybe you'll have another chance. I feel like they're poised for a comeback. This woman I was sitting with the other day was I noticed her face looked so beautiful. And she said, "I bought Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream. It's kind of a throwback, but their products are really good. And I was like, that's, you know, a like a longevity brand that is still, there a legacy. And I feel like, you, you know, maybe you're going to bring it back. Who knows?
1: Who knows? You know, stranger things have happened, <laughs> you but you're absolutely knows. right. I mean, like, I think, you know, not too long ago in Prince Harry's book in Spare, he actually talked about him using the eight hour creed because his grandmother, who was obviously the queen, you know, was a big fan of Elizabeth Arden.
0: Okay. Let's go back a little bit more than, than this, because the beginning of your career is also fascinating. You're talking me through what you did prior to even starting in the beauty world. Before you were professionally working in this private industry, you were a commodities trader, which is a completely different world, and then took a huge risk and a leap leaving that business to go into the beauty world. So when you were explaining commodities trading, I literally had to have somebody on the side tell me what you were saying, because I didn't even understand it. But I was fascinated by what you did and then the reason why you decided to take a chance and take a risk?
1: So th- thank you for that question, because I think, you know, a lot of decisions like this in career for a lot of people, men, women, it defies who they are on some level. And, you know, I spent seven years, that was my first real job. I- and this was in Singapore? in Singapore with Cargill. And I never thought I was going to leave. You know, a lot of people in the world of Asia is that the true testimony of a great leader or a great executive is longevity. And so when I joined Cargill, my whole mind was, you know, I'm going to stay with this company. I'm going to, you know, really, you know, work my way through from one level to the next. And I was with them for close to eight years. So I really did spend a lot of time with them. And commodities, I moved from soft commodities. And when you say soft commodities, it is what we call agricultural commodities. So this would be things like sugar, trading places. I think you've heard people talk about pot belly. I mean, like, I think those are the kind of things that people kind of remember. And it it was really a great uh, training ground because commodities really are the fundamentals of life, right? You need to eat. I mean, those are the kind of things that people trade. And you will never think that in your conflicts, there's going to be corn, there's going to be sugar, there's going to be high fructose corn syrup. All those are tradable because they are distilled down to the commodities that they come from. Then from there, I move on within the same company with Cargill to what we call financial instruments and crude oil. And those were the opportunities that I learned that your skills are transferable. As long as you have a good foundation, whatever commodities that you may be trading, you can move from one thing to the other. Just like a job that has a lot of, you know, demands, it also means that there are sacrifices to be made. And in my early days, I was willing to make those sacrifices where I had to work around the clock. I knew that as soon as, you know, Asia closed the U.S. will be open. As soon as the U.S. closed, Europe will be open. And then the cycle continues. And I did that for seven or eight years. It was very rewarding. But at the same time, it took a toll on my family. And I think I shared the story with you. It broke my heart when, you know, one night I was at home, you know, my son woke up crying. He probably woke up from a nightmare. I ran to his room and his reaction was not to hurt me, but his reaction was genuine. He basically say, no, I don't want you. I want Beverly, who was then, you know, the the caretaker for him, you know, and and it made me feel good on some level, knowing that the person that I leave my children with is the person that my children were so fond of that even when they wake up from a nightmare, they ask for her. But it broke my heart knowing that that was how he really felt. And, you know, at the end of the day, all of us who are are parents, or even if we're not parents, but we're godparents or aunts and uncles- You know, it hurts. And so I made a decision quite quickly that that was the last straw and I needed to have something that was still satisfying, but at the same time, I could be present for my family. And so I then switched over to PepsiCo and PepsiCo was allowing me to do very similar things, which were still in the commodities market, the financial markets, but without the crazy hours. It was demanding. I still had to work, you know, into the evening sometimes, but it was not, you know, 360 days less Christmas and Thanksgiving. So that was palatable. And then through time, as I mentioned, just to have professional satisfaction and being able to do more than what you know large organizations afforded me, I moved on to smaller and more emerging brands and then really gave me the opportunity to kind of say, if I'm gonna go into beauty at such a late stage of my career then what should I do to, again, differentiate myself? And so I decided to be in emerging and turnaround brands and private equity-backed portfolio brands. And I started that in 2002. And in 2009, got my first CEO role, which was in seven years. And that was something that I did not set a goal for myself. But when I look back, I realized that in my own way, I was quite purposeful because I knew that if I wanted to lead, then I needed to also take a little bit more risks.
0: That's interesting because I was going to ask, you said you're not, you weren't really purposeful. So there wasn't really like a plan. You knew intuitively that it was time to make a change or that this type of opportunity would be good for your career. Was that something that you had put a tremendous amount of thought in or are you more of a a risk taker by nature?
1: Yeah, I I think uh, there were a couple of factors going on during that time where this all happened. I was making a career transition but what I was also moving from an environment that I was comfortable in. I was working in Asia, spent a good amount of time in London and Geneva, but never worked in the US. And I was actually moving into the US with my family because I was married to an American and we decided that it was time for us to call the US home. So by making that decision there was three things in motion, right? A career, The geography, and then at the same time, family. Where were we going to go? Like, the U.S. is not just monolithic; it's not one country. Like, which state are we going to go to? And we chose Arizona at that time because my late husband's family was there. And in that place, the only multinational company was the Dial Corporation. So I applied, you know, without any job in mind. Wrote to the company and was hounding them. You know, in those days, you don't have social media to like kind of make yourself be present. So it was really through letters and emails that I could make myself be known to them. How did you do that? So I found out you know who was the head of the international department. And that was not easy because even though they were a public company, they only had some of their top officers, you know, being published their names, but not all of the people leading different departments. I managed to find the person and I just wrote to them, giving them a sense of what I could do. I looked at their website. I felt like there were things that they could be doing a lot better in international. And then it was very opportune because they acquired Freeman Cosmetics, which was a mass brand. And I took that opportunity to insert myself again with them because I wrote to them for quite a few years. I I went- Oh, years. Yeah, I joined them in 1999, but I was in Arizona in 1996. So it was a three years pursuit of them. That's like, really good
0: to know because I think a lot of people don't realize how long it can take to make your dream come true or to see it actually play out and they give up or they get discouraged, but you just kept going.
1: I, I kept going. I, you know, meanwhile, I was doing other things on the side because I was also applying for my green card. And when you're applying for your residency in the U.S., you cannot work. You can only you know do certain things that uh, they allow you to, which was advisory. And so it was a very limbo kind of situation and it, it wears on an individual's confidence as well, because when you define yourself by the job that you do, you know how productive you are as a person, and then you are reduced to in your mind to just waiting as someone else's mercy, it can be very trying. So, you know, on, on many levels, well, it was three years. It felt like time passed really quickly. I mean, in that time, believe it or not, in this moment... Like, well, you had moved across the country, you across the world, and you had a it, lot of it, things going on. But I applied myself in other ways. So, you know, I've always wanted to play chess. And so I started playing chess online and I became really, really good at it. But chess was also a business strategy kind of thinking because you always want to preserve, right? Your king. And I learned... In playing chess, I had a lot of business acumen that I built up as well. And so while people kind of thought it was strange that I always use chess as an example, but chess is a great example of a business moves. You never get the king in the very first step. You have to move your pawns. You've got to put your knights at risk. You've got to be very strategic in what your moves are, and you've got to anticipate what your opponent's moves are going to be. So it was helpful during that hiatus, so to speak
0: when you would get discouraged, what would you do in that time to keep yourself on track? I know you said learn chess and I'm a big fan of that too. Like take your mind off of it, use it productively, learn something else, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Were there other things that you did or or ways that you just focused on what you wanted? Are you like a manifestation kind of person?
1: Yeah, so I think maybe not so much manifestation because I come from the Asian culture and the Asian culture is one of those cultures that, okay, if you dream too big, then, you know, you may not get it. So you may still dream it, but you just don't let the universe know about it. You let yourself know. And then when you get there, you can say, oh, you know, I got there. So it's it's a little bit different. It's not affirmation. It's almost like you work towards your goal and when it does happen, you can share the good news. But if it doesn't happen that at least nobody knew that you were thinking about it. So in those three years or so before I really got into Dial, I did spend a lot of time, obviously with my kids, they were going through great school at that time. I was very involved in parents, teachers events, you know, making sure that I was contributing, so to speak. And then doing a lot of reading. And that's really where I began to start reading things that was not just about business books. I read fiction and nonfiction and biographies and things of that nature. And I found that I was picking up things and just reading them. And then you know how sometimes when you read something, it inspires you to do something. And so you go on another tangent and you begin, you know, looking at different things. And I formed a group of, I've never really had a group of good girlfriends. Because when I was working, I was always traveling. I I had my family, I had my people that I worked with, my work colleagues, but I never really had a core group of friends. And when I was in Arizona, in the neighborhood that we were in, there were a group of women from very diverse backgrounds. You know, one was a head of HR, the other was in hospitality. And here I was, you know, applying for opportunities, waiting for my residency card to be finalized and to be approved. And so we formed a really tight friendship and we will walk every evening and you know get together sometimes in the day with the kids and so it felt good because they were also career women and so we could really exchange a lot of ideas and then finally when i did get my full time role at dial we continue to keep in touch while now i moved away and it's harder to to see them all the time but we never forget about each other
0: you have a lot of tenacity willing to take risks you know single minded really ambitious is that something that you Learned? Is that something that you appreciate in others when you see it with people who are
1: working for you? Yes. I think, you know, can you grow it? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are two things I always tell people tenacity is great, perseverance is very good, but being self aware is just as important because sometimes you can keep persevering where, you know, maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe that's not for you. So I'll, I'll give you a good example. I always thought, that I would love to be a lawyer. And I went to school in Australia with a, you know, starting with a double degree, both in economics and law. And very quickly, I realized law wasn't for me. I wasn't somebody that could sit down and really comb through all the casework. And law actually is an open book exam. So a lot of people who love open book exams love that because all your information is there, but now you need to distill it to the right answer. I found that I gravitated to economics. I love the fact that there was a reason for how things happen. And because I started in science where I did physics, chemistry, and biology in Singapore, every action has a reaction kind of ethos. I really like economics. And I realized that even though I always had this thought I'll be a lawyer one day arguing cases in court, I realized that that wasn't for me. And had I keep pushing my head against it and maybe I come out on the other end as a lawyer, I will be such a lousy lawyer that it wouldn't have done anyone any good anyways. And
0: moving into your life now, in the second half, you, you go from dial, then you start, like you said, you started going into different smaller businesses and turning them around. And you were really thoughtful about the types of jobs that you took and the opportunity that you thought that you could handle how are you as a boss and how do you look at other women coming up who you are managing or hiring who are looking to transition and do what you've done?
1: Yes. So I think it's hard for me to tell you what I think I am. So I will share with you a couple of things that people have said about me. It's
0: always hard for people to say. when, when, When
1: I leave a job. So I always want to be this. I want to be able To do things for whether it's my team or my team's members in such a way that it's not for them to tell me you did this for me, but that they see the impact in their lives after, you know, a certain period of time. And even when I am there, they could also see that when I advocate for them, I advocate for them in such a way that they can also help advocate for their other team members. So. Virtually every job where I have left the team, the team has voluntarily either given me something with a, and usually there's always a message in it. And the message captures everything that I wish, I hope that I have done for them is reflected back at me. And that message always gets to that point and it makes me feel really good. So then I know I'm doing something right, right? And so what you do is that I take that, and really try to expand on it in my next job. And I keep doing that. I've been doing that so much now that it's come to a point where somebody asks me, what should I do? I always say, do what you would do for this person the way you would do it for yourself. Because we all have self-preservation, right? We all want to do the best for ourselves. But when you do well, you need to give back and you need to do good. And I'll give again another specific example. This was when I was at Murad. It was my first kind of real leadership role outside of a major corporation, right? I was with Cargill, Pepsico and the Dow Corporation. I now joined Murad as the head of international and I needed an intern. Somebody applied to me. This girl was really smart. She came to me and she said, look, I know I've already said yes to you and I'm going to join Murad because I really want to work with you but I also want to let you know, I just got offered an internship with Laurel and I stopped her right there. And I say, look, you need to go to Laurel because you're going to learn so much more. And then when you learn this much, you're going to impact someone else's life down the road. And long story short, 20 years later, literally, it was almost 20 years later, I was at a Sephora brand summit. I was with my new team, Olaplex. And this girl walks up to me and she said, do you remember me? I'm scrambling in my head. And then she said, I'm Amy. I was supposed to be your intern. And she is now the founder of Tower 28, this brand. And she was like telling me what I did for her. And my team is standing with me. And I'm like, this is the best (laughs) endorsement. Like there was nothing I could have asked for better because now my team knows, my new team knows that I am going to do the best that I can for them, that they come before me and that all would be good. And so I I feel like life comes around. What you do will get recognized. And some people will say, look, you know, I do all these good things and I never get recognized for it. But you'll be surprised because sometimes the world works in mysterious ways.
0: I believe that totally. What advice do you have for women who are looking to leave one industry, go to another, leave a big job, take a different type of opportunity, get back into the workforce and you know, finding that it's the third year and they're still writing the letters you know, and they're feeling really frustrated. What advice would you have for people who are you know, following in your footsteps?
1: Yeah, I think first and foremost, be very open to networking. Right. It's very daunting because some people are going to be very nice to you. They are going to reach out and help you. Others may just ghost you and never talk to you, you know, even after they tell you to reach out to them. I just think that don't take anything personally because people do get busy, but make your request, make your desire that you want to pivot or you want to move into a different industry or another company, be known so that people can keep a lookout for you. But as you're asking for help, also be helpful. So for instance, if you know of this person in an industry that you really love and they're in a company that you would love to join, but at the same time, you know you don't want to keep asking and asking for, oh, did you see something here for me? You know, Can I have coffee with you so that I can share with you what I'm doing? find out something that can benefit this individual. Let's say this individual is head of marketing and they are always looking out for something new and innovative. You happen to run across something, may not be what you are doing, but you think that this will be interesting for that person, write them a quick note and say, I saw this, I think it would be wonderful. Do you want me to make an introduction if you know this person? I mean, just insert yourself to be helpful And the number of times that I I think I've been able to get people to be my mentors is to actually show them that, look, I am not going to just take, I will also give back to you.
0: What about feelings of imposter syndrome or the self-consciousness of putting yourself out there like that? The lack of confidence people have, even if they have the resume and the skill set to do it, just taking that risk taking the leap and then having the the vision that i'm going to achieve this goal what advice do you
1: have for people who are struggling with that yeah i i think you know the imposter syndrome and the struggling is usually very much i you know when when we hear other people talk about it too it's very much self imposed like Nobody walks around and, and looks at somebody who is ambitious and who wants to make that change and who approaches. I like. I never think that if somebody approaches me, that oh, this person is is an imposter. They they are over, you know, over credentializing themselves. I think everyone looks at somebody who has the courage to walk up to anyone and introduce themselves and want to be seen and want to be heard. It's actually respected. I am actually always very impressed with people who actually just walk up to me and introduce themselves. And at the same time, they will say, I didn't know how you would respond. I'm a human being. You know, every one of us are human beings. We like the fact that, look, if somebody wants to come to us, do so. Do not censure yourself. Don't look at it and say, well, I'm not good enough. I haven't got this credential. I don't have this experience. So why should I? Well, you should, because the very fact that you are thinking about it already puts you in a whole separate category because there are more people working than there are people changing jobs, right? There are more people in their seats than there are people looking to transition. So the fact that you are the fewer of the many already makes you special.
0: That's a really good way of thinking about it. And that is really great advice because there are a lot of people who want to make a move feel stuck or feel afraid. And to hear from you who's in the position of, you know, power to say that you would respect somebody who's tenacious, who sticks with it, who has the ability to come up to you, who's to say what they want and to go for it instead of, I feel like that mental block that people have, which is, you know, well, they're not going to hire me because here's a million reasons. Or, you know, I'm not going to go up to this person because, you know, it's too scary. I don't know what I want. She's, you know, they're going to laugh at me. And to flip it on its head to show that, no, actually, there's a lot of respect for that. And, you know, if somebody doesn't feel that way, then that person's, you know, a jerk and you shouldn't work from them anyway.
1: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, on many levels, sometimes even if you role play, you know, with your friends, And I, I mean, I know that people think that everyone has caught maybe I'm projecting, I shouldn't say I know everyone. You know, anytime I go through anything, I always put myself in a situation where how would I feel if it was the other way around? What would I do if it was the other way around? And I can always almost find no reason why I shouldn't be doing it. So a, a very recent example again is I've always admired this person in the industry. She's moved her way from the shop floor all the way to almost like the C-suite in a very large corporation. And I won't divulge her name because I don't want to, like, you know, uh, I want to respect her privacy. So I thought to myself, I'm in transition at the moment. I am, you know, I have a lot more time and I will just reach out to her and see if, you know, we could have, a moment, you know, even if it's virtually or in person. Lord and behold, I wrote to her. She came right back and she said, I've been meaning to reach out to you. I don't understand why we've never connected in person, you know, given that, you know, what you have done in the space. And she started telling me all the things that she thought I did great. And I'm like, here I was like humming and hawing whether I should reach out to this person. And eventually just on Monday, we had a really lovely lunch together and we pledged that we will see each other again. And as soon as I got back, she wrote me a quick email and said, I'm going to be at such and such a place, you know, let's plan on getting together. And that really made my day. And just like, you know, people may think that I have arrived. I haven't arrived. I'm still on that journey to a destination. And this same person is on a journey to a destination. I think that's how we all should look at it. We are all on this train and we're all still on the train we haven't gotten off the train yet and until we get to the end you know let's keep getting to know each other on this train and have fun
0: and don't assume what anybody else is thinking
1: absolutely i mean people
0: and because people you would, would never have thought that this person was thinking yeah, yeah i really want to of- meet her and maybe she was too afraid to reach out to you
1: Who knows? Who knows? And it's such wasted time, right? To kind of second guess each other. So I feel like lesson learned here is that people are human beings. We like to interact. We like each other. And yes, some people like each other more because there is chemistry. There's no doubt about it. But it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone. There are always great acquaintances. And acquaintances can be very helpful in your time of search and transition or even when you can be helpful through them as well.
0: That's great advice. And something that in my own career, there's been times where I've let acquaintances in my networks go and I live to regret it. You only regret the people who aren't in your life, not the people who are. So I think, you know, keeping up with friendships, keeping up with colleagues, making sure that you're you're putting yourself out and that you are connecting with people who you like and have had a good experience being, whether it's working or friends or, you know, you went to school together and not just because they can be helpful to you. Because in your life, it's it, I feel like it always comes back. It's very interconnected. You never know when you're going to run into people again. And it, there's a nice feeling of having this wide network
1: that is there to support you. Yeah. I mean, reconnecting is amazing. I mean, just the other day I was like looking, you know how LinkedIn has all these algorithms yeah. and they say, oh, we suggest that you want to connect with this person. And ping out of the blue, they recommended a connection that was my starting group. You know, we, they at Cargill, they hired seven trainees in my year at once from school. And she was one of them. We were the only two female. I lost touch with her over the years. Her name came up. She's now the head of treasury in, in Deloitte in Singapore. I saw, you know, connected with her and sort of sent an invite to join her network. She responded back. And now, you know, we told each other, if I'm back in Singapore or she's here in New York, we're going to like grab coffee. I mean, that's major. You know, and now today's with social media, you it's, know, amazing. it's almost easier than anything else to go find someone. It, like if you really yeah. want to seek out someone, you can actually find them.
0: I think about that with my kids sometimes. I'm like, you will actually never be in a world in which you will lose touch with anyone that you know. Yeah. Because you will always be connected with them through one platform or another and be able to find them, which is, I don't know, mind-blowing in some
1: way. It it, it is mind-blowing. And it's the same with business, right? If you think about with business and you work, you know, you used to be six degrees you know, you play this game of six degrees to Kevin Baker. Now it's really two degrees. There's just no way you cannot know someone who knows or someone who can kind of like, you know, bring the thing to the finish line for you or at least make an introduction and anything. So the possibilities are there. It's a question of grabbing it and making it mutually beneficial, you know, ways for each other. And it's very gratifying and satisfying. If I can help someone, I feel like, you know, that feeling continues to permeate throughout you as an individual and that it shows up when you're interacting with other people. So it all comes around and it all will, you know, work out at some point. Like you and I, I mean, if I didn't agree to the Egon Sander event, I would never have met you. And now I feel like, not that I know you well, but I know that I can reach out to you. You have offered several times to help the women in that room and, you know, very few people do that. And so the few that do, you remember them for a long time.
0: Well, thank you. I'm so glad that the stars aligned and that you were there and we got to meet. And I'm so glad that I was able to to interview you and share this story. It's really inspirational. You're, and your your kids are now grown. You're a grandmother, right? Correct. Yes. And I would assume on your way to your next destination of big, bad bossery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, I I always look forward to what comes next. And that's the exciting part of life. You know, it's ne- nothing is set in stone. Last
0: question. So you're in between jobs, looking for the next role as, you know, CEO or whatever it is. I mean, you sit on boards, you're on in lots of ways, still, I'm sure, incredibly active in your career. Do you get nervous in the before in the downtime think, or just even yeah. like the, in the, um, in the process of looking for the next thing or interviewing or talking to people, do you still get nervous or do you walk in like, you know, guys,
1: this is me. Yeah. I think you always want to be on your toes, right? If you ever think that this is a done deal, I think this is where, you know, it's not the right thing for you because you need to be excited about something. You need to want to work for something. I think the thing that situate me and make me less anxious and more intentional in what I want in my next you know, uh, role is because I feel financially stable. I think you heard me say at the beauty yeah. industry event, I think one of the major, major thing for a lot of people in not making this switch from one industry or one job to another is that they feel compelled to stay where they are because of the economics, financial economics. But if you could get yourself financially sound and give yourself that permission to then try something that you always wanted to and never dared to, I think it's very freeing. And the freedom of doing that, you talk about regrets. Regrets is never about failures. Let's say, you know, you give up something, you go out and you do something and you fail. That is not a regret. The regret is usually down the road, you look back and you say, why didn't I do that? Is it too late now? Regrets is always about something you wanted to do and you never did. And I've always said that to people, if you live a life of regrets, it's going to be very painful. So sometimes, you know, take that step, but don't take a foolish step, right? Make sure, you know, you have permission to do so on a financial basis so that you you have Mental wellness as well. In that regard,
0: great advice. Thank you so much, Julie. This was just like a total pleasure.
1: Thank you. No, it's it's very enjoyable for me too. I always say the best interviewers are the people who bring out the best in the person that is being interviewed, and you definitely have done that. Well,
0: thank you. I look forward to being in your orbit and staying friends.
1: Absolutely. And please, I, I really mean it, you know, please stay in touch. And however, I can be helpful in any way, you know, bouncing off ideas, somebody or a recommendation, please feel free to do so.
0: Thank you so much. Absolutely. You take care. You too. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, subscribe and help us make work work for you and for all women.